Hey everyone, you're listening to Tobin Tuesdays brought to you by the Manitoban here on 101.5 UMFM. Today is February 12th, 2019, and I'm your host, Joe Gonzalez. On today's episode, we have three interviews. First, we spoke with UMFA President Janet Morrell. We also spoke with Faculty of Education student Kristen Flattery. And finally, we spoke with U of M Administrator Barry Lavely. With that being said, let's get to it. More than two dozen members of the University of Manitoba Faculty Association, or UMFA, lined up outside the U of M Senate chambers on February 6th to protest what the association president called a, quote, closed, secretive, end quote, process to find the next president of the university. University President David Barnard will be leaving the position in June of 2020, and the selection process to find his replacement will soon begin. A search committee, which includes UMSU President Jacob Sanderson, UMGSA President Carl Newman, and an UMFA member has been formed to decide on a candidate. The committee will present a recommendation to the Board of Governors, which will make the final decision. According to a statement released by UMFA, the Senate overwhelmingly supported a motion to make the presidential selection process accessible to the entire university community at a meeting in January, but the Board of Governors rejected the proposal. Our news and managing editor, Malak Abbas, spoke with UMFA President Janet Morrill, who was present at the protest. Uh, I guess before anything, uh, what are UMFA's like central demands? What we want is we want to have it's the three signs, and so we want to have community input into the search process. We want to know who the list of candidates are, and we want those candidates to make public presentations. Right now, with it being a closed search. Not only do, does the UN community not have any input, but the people who are on the committee can't do their own in, inquiries of information either. Yeah. Because by doing that, they would be revealing who the candidates were. Right. So it's very much a compromised process the way they want to do it. Uh, why do you think, like, based on your you know, experience with UMFA and working with administration, why do you think they are so set on keeping it like, closed or closed session? Well... A number of universities do it this way, and they do the, they say that they are doing that to protect the candidates. And they say that by protecting the candidates, they get better candidates. There's no empirical sport for that. And what they're doing is they're putting the protection of the candidates over and above making a good choice of the leader of the university. If all the university did this, this would be normal. And if someone's going to get a $500,000 position, maybe they should have to take some risks. Yeah. To have the privilege of being president of this institution. How do you uh, how do you think uh, I guess the secretive nature of this decision affects university students? Well, I think that the university students run the risk that a leader will be chosen who isn't the best leader to look after the academic mission of this university. If you have a closed, secretive process that ignores what Senate has to say, when Senate is in charge of the academic mission, you're going, you could end up attracting a closed, secretive president. And the concerns and the knowledge 
knowledge of the academic side of this university, what we heard, that's going to affect the students right where they live. Thank you so much for speaking with me. I think those are all my questions. Do you know of anyone else like you? A long-serving Indigenous student activist is now running unopposed to be one of the Faculty of Education's student representatives on the U of M Senate. Kristen Flattery is an education student with an honors degree in fine art. She is currently the education representative and MISCO Fest coordinator for the University of Manitoba Indigenous Students Association. Flattery has been involved in UMISA for several years in various capacities, including standing as a UMISA female co-president from 2016 to 2017. For Flattery, being on the U of M Senate means she can bring important Indigenous issues to the attention of the administration. One of the major issues Flattery has is with the U of M's inability to be cognizant of the reserves tuition payment schedule. Our comment editor, Jacob Singleton, spoke with Kristen to talk more about why she is running to be a student representative. Well, my name is Kristen, and I am the mother of two young boys who are about to have their 7th and 13th birthday in the next couple months. And I am very devoted mother, mother to both my children, as well as my studies. Uh, my children are no stranger to campus. So in actuality, it was because of my children, my eldest son more specifically, that I decided to apply for a degree in education. My son is an Indigenous male with dyslexia and statistically has the possibility of falling through the cracks. Now, because I am a mother, and an advocate, I cannot perceive any mother or father wanting to perceive, wanting to experience that, especially in regards to um, when we're thinking about children from Northern Lake communities, they are automatically set at a disadvantage because of the educational system not being the same, right? Their academics are not up to par with children from urban settings. So because not only is, um, so, sorry, not only is it difficult to get, this is a big issue with that, is that it's really hard to get um, teachers to come in to rural communities, uh, such as reserves, northern communities, but not only is it hard to get them in there, but it's also difficult to retain them and get them to stay there. Um, so more needs to be done in attracting Indigenous graduates who have achieved their undergrad in, into pursuing degrees in education, so getting them to come here and wanting more Indigenous scholars to become teachers. So why I like want to be in Senate, um, I do want to make a bigger push to having more people, more Indigenous people wanting to come into the Faculty of Education. And furthermore, when it comes to children, I do not believe in a concept of there being like a bad child. I do believe that, you know, children can have a bad day or they can be resulting negatively because of something, but that doesn't mean that they're bad, right? When we think of someone being bad, that gives the connotation that they need to be punished, right? Rather than this idea of a child needing to be healed. So I want to be on Senate not only to make a bigger push for Indigenous students, but like everybody as a whole. Um, I, I understand like we're, we're all human, right? Um, I do believe that a lot of policies do have the opportunity of being amended, right? There's uh, when it comes down to policies, there's uh, the triple P, right? There's principle, policy, and procedure. So you say that you want to bring more people, um, more Indigenous people into education, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and how do you think you can achieve that as a senator? As a senator, okay. So I know, like, okay, this is, this is 
in in regards to some of some of the policies. I'm so I'm sorry to bring in policies, but I know. Okay, so when it comes to reserves and when it comes to the institution, uh, the reserves the reserves policies contrast a lot differently than the university's policies. So in extreme con instances, we can have students that end up homeless before they can even finish their undergraduate degree, right? Because of the policies um, contrasting so differently. So Indigenous students, by their reserves, they can be put on academic probation and they have to be achieving like a B to B plus average. So because of these like, and um, when it comes to funding and like money and bursaries, like I was on a committee with um, Chance Papanicus, who is my, the co-president, my male co-president at the time, and we helped, we sat with AMSU and we thought of different, they, they were getting all this money in for bursaries and how can we help Indigenous students and get more Indigenous students coming to the university. We have all this money, let's give it to them. But the thing is with the bursaries, there's a lot of limitations. Um, and because the, the institution's policies differ from the university's policies, sometimes we don't even have access to that money until years later. Like myself, like I had bursaries that I had sitting there for four years before I could access it. And that's because the, the reserve's fiscal year and the university's fiscal year, they're, they're not the same, right? So payments to res the reserves don't pay your fees here um, on time. Mm. So you're, uh, you're, you're put on academic hold, right? You can be like, uh, because your fees aren't paid, right? So then you, you, you can't take out library books, right? There's so many things that happen to you when, you're, you're libra when, you're, when your fees to, uh, for your tuition aren't paid. So it's that delay. So there is a delay between reserve funding mm -hmm. and uh, the academic school year. Yeah. So you want to go into Senate, bring these issues up, and sort of institute policy that allows for Indigenous students who are from the reservation, the reserves, to um, to be more in sync with their funding. Yes. Yeah. Because I know, like, money is like, like you know, we have people coming in from really far away northern communities, coming in, right? They don't have like family supports around here, right? It's 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 very hard for them. Like, you don't you can't go to mom and dad's on the weekend and, and shop for groceries in the fridge, right? You you don't have mom and dad to go to if you if you get a, a hole in your shoe, right? Like, this is all coming out of your own budget constantly, and. You, you can't access that money, so you'll be working really hard to get those great grades so that you can achieve this money, so that you can get those bursaries, and then they give you the money, but you can't have it because your reserve is behind. So you work so hard all year to get these good grades, to get, like, you know, like the, the general bursary, or, or what if there's actually Indigenous bursaries that you can apply to, but you can't get that money. So this money is just sitting there, and sometimes you it just... You can't get the money? Why? Um, because your reserve, if your reserve hasn't paid their tuition then you get put on hold. And then when your account is put on hold, you cannot access any bursary money that's sitting there and sitting there at, uh, you know, where you get your bursary money, uh, fourth floor. Yeah, 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 yeah. the student is. aid and bursaries yeah, on the fourth yeah. floor. Yeah, so, like, you have all these Indigenous students, like, working that are really intelligent, getting this money, but they can't access that money. Because the uh, money released by the reserves is, is not in sync with... Yeah, so University. like yeah, so if our tuitions were being paid on time, like you know how um, the the university expects your tuition to be paid like by a certain time. Right. The reserves don't pay that until like so when I finish like let's say I'm here for uh, fall session, right? Okay. The my reserve won't pay my fall session probably until summer session of the next year. It takes a full year. It can take up to a whole year for this to get paid. So even and then sometimes when you're wanting to apply for summer session. 
You can't even get into the summer session courses that you want because your reserve hasn't paid your winter session fees yet. So you see what I mean? Like we're always behind. We're always behind. So we can't we can't take good summer courses. Like we're always like you you want to register right away to get into those summer courses right away, but you can't because your reserve hasn't paid your fees yet. From the last year. From the last year, right? And it's 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 really difficult. So I just like there to be some some sort of way that like indigenous students are able to access that money. Like there needs to be some sort of understanding that like the student shouldn't be the one that's getting punished. The student should be punished for like working so hard, right? It's not the student's fault that the reserve is not is a year behind, right? And this has been going on for at least ten to fifteen years. Like they get their money, but they don't get their money till later. So let's let's not punish the student for it, right? U of M Administrator Barry Lavallee made headlines last fall when he suggested that U of M President David Barnard step down from his position, citing issues of racism on campus. Months later, Lavallee has resigned from his position. Lavallee, who taught at the university and was Director of Education for the Ongomizwin Indigenous Institute of Health and Healing, will resign effective February 18th after expressing concerns of a lack of response from university administration on issues of anti-Indigenous racism. Our news and managing editor, Malak Abbas, spoke with Barry for an extended talk on the matter. So I guess before anything, um, I've, of course, I've read the other news articles and uh, uh, you discussed how your resignation was, was brought on by this, you know, this uh, lack of response from the U of M administration on uh, Indigenous issues. Um, you, as far as I'm aware, anyway, you are the second Indigenous, I guess, faculty and administration in in only two months to resign over this like exact same issue because Lynn Lavalle in December also resigned, citing the same reason. Um, I guess anyone could argue that this is becoming a bit of a pattern for the U of M. Um, why do you think that is? I mean, people make their own individual choices, I suppose, but it, uh, I think it just draws attention to um, perhaps what the University of Manitoba can see and that there's an issue um, for some people with being indigenous in this uh, uh, academy, um, be it faculty, employees, or learners, I would imagine. And the recent um, you know, release of Dr. Barnard's statement about uh, racism at the university kind of reflects that acknowledgement that there's something going on. And despite you know, interventions um, that have been undertaken by the university, you... I mean, I, I, I can't say anything more than that. I mean, I, yeah. I, but there have been a number of uh, faculty who've moved on. That doesn't necessarily mean that they moved on because of the same reasons I moved on, but hmm. in a faculty, in a academy where there are not many um, faculty or employees, teachers, I mean, to lose one is, a, is an issue. To lose several is a, recognizes a, a pattern. Based uh, based on your uh, previous you know experience 
and expertise, um, what would a more rapid response look like to you? Well, a more rapid response would look like something as, as simple as, as an all-out uh, um, communique to um, learners and employees and faculty that Indigenous-specific racism will not be tolerated, full stop. And if, it, if um, there's evidence of continuing racism, there will be consequences, again, a full stop. The third part is kind of how the university actually would deal with the I think uh, briefly segue um, earlier in the year we actually spoke and, and um, I guess some headlines were made and whatnot. Um, you uh, during a lecture uh, made a recommendation or a, a hypothetical recommendation or whatever you'd call it that uh, a yeah. Barnard step down and be replaced by an indigenous woman. Um, yeah. Did you face any or like what was there any response from administration? Uh, after you no, no, not not that I'm aware of. I mean, the administration. I, I mean, the Fort Garry administration uh, has never conveyed uh, a message or a response about anything to me. Not that I'm aware of. Um, the support that I got or I get at the university is from my administration. 
administration at the Rowdy Faculty of Health Sciences. Was uh, was that administration supportive? Was that administration supportive, like at Rady? Oh, yeah, yeah. As a new, our vice provost is Dr. Brian Postal. Okay. And we have a whole slew of people, you know, uh, trying to work to address addition-specific racism. And, and Dr. Marsha Anderson, and I want you to make this known, is the lead for us at the uh, Rowdy Faculty Health Sciences to address these issues in the context of the well-being of Indigenous um, uh, healthcare learners. Sorry, what was her uh, name Dr. again? Marsha Anderson, Dr. Marsha Anderson. Okay. Yeah, so, so she's kind of taking the lead um, um, and supported by Dr. Brian Postle as well as a number of our other associate deans uh, to say, okay, let's take this journey on and see where we can go with it and how can we uh, progress um, the Rowdy Faculty of Health Sciences. Okay. There's no doubt, so I, I'm not leaving because they haven't made a response. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, people have to know or the students, especially the students. I don't want the messaging, really, to go to the students that it is hopeless. When I that response to the Big Free Press is kind of a um, a reactive response. That doesn't mean it's hopeless. I mean, my goodness. The other thing you have to know is that in the School of Medicine, uh, the students that I work with, um, Indigenous and non-Indigenous alike, um, the majority of them um, don't agree with how racism impacts the health and healing of Indigenous peoples and want to be part of changing that. That has to be stated because those students, the future dogs um, that I've worked with for a lot of years, um, are kind of really the hope for our future in terms of changing uh, outcomes, at least in this it's small, but it's an impactful area when we're talking about um, people who work in health uh, care fields, right? Right. Um, so, so yeah. So, but the the, the Fort Gary campus response has been minimal, at least to me. And it doesn't matter that they don't respond to me. What's more important um, is that I know that the Dr. Barnard and his executive, along with a number of people, met with students for a second time. And I was very much encouraged by that. Um, I want to ask you about those uh, two meetings, um, and if you'd heard about them and how they made you feel. So. Well, the first one I, I attended, and I, I attended at the invitation of the Indigenous uh, uh, Students Lead. I wasn't uh, invited by the uh, university, and there were a number of people, of course, who I knew there. Um, and I, I thought the, the meeting, in my opinion, um, I thought the students made a, a big progress, but I thought the response was quite tepid from the uh, Dr. Barnard and his team. Um, and I thought the focus um, was typically, and this happens a lot, that the issue is actually typically sidelined uh, by another issue, uh, which is an important issue, and that's language, and those indigenous languages at the University of Manitoba. But that has nothing to do directly with uh, eliminating indigenous racism sorry so just really not, sorry yeah. really quick just to clarify for my sake and yeah. you're speaking about the first meeting which you attended yeah, and was not in okay one i did not attend i was invited again by the indigenous uh, students lead but i i decided not to attend okay <laughs> sorry please but go I, on but i heard yeah um, Could you expand a little bit on 
what you consider. Because you, you said uh, the first meeting, uh, Barnard came off uh, tepid in his response. Was it solely because you thought that the focus was maybe a little uh, misappropriated? Or, like, could you expand on... Yeah, it was sidelined. I would call it sidelined okay. or misappropriated. Yeah. Okay. Um, my... Okay, so I guess this is my last question. Um, I read the Free Press article, and I read... Uh, the quote where you said that I think things seemed like hopeless or something like that. And now you're saying that was a bit of a reactive statement. Um, yeah, if, yeah, if, it's not hopeless. I mean, my goodness, I'd never have stayed on the university with this long hair been hopeless. Sure. Um, if you could uh, make a statement about where you think the status of, uh, I guess, progress... Uh, I guess on indigenous issues at the in, at the U of M. If you could make a statement on where you think it is right now, what would I guess what would that statement be? Well, I mean, the statement that I think I'd back up anywhere is that the University of Manitoba struggles to struggles to address um, indigenous specific racism at the at its institute. Yeah. That. You know, that is a fair statement. It doesn't mean that the learners that we have at the university are actually um, in the same boat. They're not. They're much more creative and courageous uh, than many faculty as well as senior administration in dealing with, with what's quite obvious. And I think at the, at the overall end, I have more hope with learners um, and junior faculty um, and, and in general than I do with senior administration. Let, let me put it that way. That's a fair statement. Okay. Because, you know, and you know, you know, I spoke with one of my colleagues afterwards, and they were a bit worried about the students. Um, not that they're they aren't adults, but it's you know, I mean, you know, I have a lot of um, students that I work with at the university. Sure. Um, and and so that's that's a lasting message that I want to to have published because I want to know the students to know that they are the hope and it's their courage that's actually hopeful for me in changing that university. And you know what? I, I don't know. I hope it changes rapidly, but I think it's going to be quite uh, inc incremental. And that um, drives me crazy. And that should do it for today's episode of Tobin Tuesdays. Once again, the interviews you heard today were provided by Malak Abbas and Jacob Singleton. The intro and transition music was produced by Kenny Ingram, and the entire episode was produced and hosted by me, Joe Gonzalez. A reminder that all the interviews you heard today, you can read about in the stories available in the upcoming issue of the Manitoban this week. Tobin Tuesdays is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so be sure to check us out to find our old episodes, as well as subscribe so you don't miss a future one. As always, you can also find our show page available on the UMFM website. On behalf of the Manitoban, we thank you for listening, and we'll hope you tune in next week. Peace.